The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. We're never going to leave you hanging. I'm Brian Sullivan, in for Scott Wapner, and tech getting hung out to dry, getting wrecked again, building on last week's big losses. Technology, if you're not paying attention, is on pace for its worst year since 2008. Nearly 90% of technology stocks, they're down on the year. Question is, how much more downside or maybe upside is there left? We're going to debate that and more with our investment committee today. That is Shannon Sicocia, Surat Seti, Joe Terranova, and Jim Labenthal. Before we get to our outstanding group of traders today, we're going to show you a lot of red on the screen to get to these markets at this hour. Stocks adding to last week's big losses. The NASDAQ continues to be the big drag. The NASDAQ's down 1.3%. The Dow is down 80, but holding up relatively much better than technology. Just down one quarter of 1%. The 10-year yield at 3.59%. There you go. NASDAQ down. Small caps down exactly 1%. Everybody, hope to see you on set here in just a couple of days. You could probably figure out what's going on there. But, Jim, let's start off with you and these macro markets technology. I mean, just can't get out of its own way. How much of this is fundamental fear about next year versus maybe, hey, let's do a little tax loss selling ahead of the new year and cut down on that giant check many of our viewers write to Uncle Sam every 12 months? Well, it could be a little bit of all of the above. First off, I'm not going to try to give you a fist bump. I'm not try. I'm not going to try to give technology stocks a fist bump either. Um, I've been underweight tech uh, for most of the year. I think there's something to be said looking at the Dow versus, say, the Nasdaq that this is a market where leadership is transitioning and has been all year from growth to value. I think that's likely to continue. Now, this does not mean that you should not own any tech whatsoever. It does mean, however, that you should be selective. I tend to hew more towards the value-oriented side of technology. So things like the semis, things like Cisco Systems, and where I get into a higher multiple, it's really only the FANG names, Apple, Microsoft, Google, those sorts of things. Because here's the two things you've got to realize. One, there's still a valuation difference, uh, technology versus other value stocks. And look, at the end of the day, they're all stocks. You should pay a certain amount for growth. It doesn't matter whether it's coming from Apple or whether it's coming from Caterpillar. The other thing is when you look forward over the next couple of years, there's going to be decent returns from technology. Again, don't sell at all, but you're likely to get better returns from the cyclical sectors because that's where the earnings growth is going to be on the back of supply chain onshoring and infrastructure spending. So this is just all about leadership transition. It's been going on all year, Brian. Yeah, it has been going on, Shannon. And I think there's been, and who can blame our viewers or listeners for kind of waiting for the tech turnaround? Well, technology always wins, so eventually it's going to turn around. You've been saying that now, not you, but, but the viewers have been saying that with their investment, Shannon, for about 11 months now. Do you see any fundamental shift coming? 
N not right away. Uh, it's certainly, it's really hard to think about it in terms of, you know, are we looking out a year, two years, three years? Or are we looking over the course of the next couple of quarters? Because I, I don't think that we're going to see, particularly in sentiment, a shift towards technology over the next couple of quarters. We are going to be in an environment where, you know, we're, we're going to have some continued concerns about the Fed um, in terms of how many additional rate hikes that they're going to put into place in the first quarter. They, these stocks, despite the significant declines that they've experienced this year, and we've all seen it, particularly the, the super high valuation, low profitability or no profitability ones, they have experienced significant declines, but the valuations are still relative to the S&P 500 expensive high. Um, the multiples are going to continue to come down. They're going to be pressured. I think the, the thing to think about is that anchoring yourself to 2018 or 2019 in terms of you know the overall landscape is going to be incredibly challenging. Now, there could be some catalysts for technology in the second half of next year, namely this recession that obviously we're all concerned about. That's what the markets are trading on right now. And if you start to see significant economic contraction and the Fed has to adjust their rate hike policy and perhaps even become more accommodative, that could give a bit of a boost to technology stocks. The other thing to think about, Brian, and it's really important, is the dollar. If we do see a weaker dollar next year, that certainly is going to help tack on the bottom line. But I think we're several quarters out from that. And I think for the time being, we're going to continue to struggle yeah. with, again, the fact that these stocks are just more expensive. Joe, it seems like it's always darkest just before the dawn, does it not? Right. And, and maybe that applies to markets. Dan Ives of Wedbush, he's out with a macro call saying he thinks we're going to see a 20% jump for technology next year. Quote, we believe the overall tech sector will be up roughly 20% from current levels. Part of that is because it has just been so beaten up and so under-owned. Everybody also seems very bearish. Are you buying the 20%, Joe? Well, I think what has to happen in that case is that the Federal Reserve has to come forth with, you know, 25 basis points in early February, maybe 25 after that, and then pause. That's the way that you get long duration assets to begin to rally towards 20%. But I think, Brian, before we could think about, well, are we going to get 20% in 2023, let's kind of explain to the viewers the dynamic of the moment. What's going on right now? Why are stocks under pressure and what does it mean when the calendar flips into January of 2023? You ask, what brings a potential fundamental shift? I'm not sure you get a fundamental shift, but when you walk into the new year, the tax loss selling that you reference, that abates and the possibility exists that you will have a lift in equities markets as cash returns into that equity market going into earnings. In the moment of what's occurring right now, you had a significant technical reversal last week. It's called an outside down week. Adding upon that, you've got Apple, which has broken below its October and November lows, and it's right now threatening its June lows at 129.04. It's taking all of mega cap equities down with it. And then the last piece of uh, this selling pressure that we're seeing here in the moment is that there is a significant institutional rebalance that is unfolding right now. Let's remember, this quarter equities are higher. We haven't had a higher quarter for equities in quite some time. You're seeing a reallocation because that's what the institutional mandate dictates out of equities into bonds. So collectively, all of that's unfolding, and it's giving this appearance that the Santa Claus rally is nowhere in sight. 
Well, that's it. You know, Surratt, normally we'd say, listen, who cares? December 31st, January 1st, really no difference, except there is because of what Joe referenced, which is number one, tax law selling, which, by the way, is probably a lot bigger than we think. And you've got this rebalancing going on, the NASDAQ 100 getting rebalanced today. As a matter of fact, do you believe there will be a change in when the years change or not? So I would add one more thing, Brian. I'd also call window dressing. A lot of managers don't want to end the year with what they would call dogs in their portfolio, uh, just because they don't want questions when they do their reviews in January and February. So you've got that as well. Uh, going into kind of the negative selling pressure. Uh, I don't think we're going to get this reversal in January. I think the market's really looking forward and really, I, I would say, foreshadowing or discounting what the market thinks is a lower earnings trajectory. And that's kind of what you're seeing in some of these high beta uh, stocks that, that have, you know, potential of earnings downdrafts. So that's kind of, and, and you're seeing kind of, as Jim referenced, money going into the cyclicals and, and, and even some of the defensives. Uh, in advance of that. Now the question will be, we haven't seen that, uh, but all the, 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 the pundits are calling for, you know, huge earnings estimates, cuts the questions where it's going to be. Tech's going to be one of the big ones, but that is all going to be demand driven. And then, you know, the rest of the sectors, who's going to have the heaviest kind of downdraft in their earnings? Well, Sarat, I'll, I'll come back to you. Answer your own question. I mean, are you that concerned? And I'm talking about big tech, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Googles, the Alphabets, whatever Salesforce's of the world. Are you that concerned about their earnings and, uh, a, and a big drop heading into I, next year? I'm, I'm not that concerned about their earnings. What I am concerned about is the price you pay for them. Um, that's the multiple contraction that you're seeing there is kind of similar to what we saw when, when rates go up. And, and it's just a natural thing. So unless their earnings... We were paying up for these companies because earnings were growing. Even if earnings stay the same or they grow up single digits, you're not going to be paying 20 plus for these earnings when you can get the same thing elsewhere, whether it's in cyclicals or some of the other sectors. Or what you also have is the alternative, which is you can get bonds at 4 to 6% in the short term. So I think it's the price you're going to pay for these future earnings. That's what's concerning me. And for those you know who are overweight some of these stocks, that's going to be some more bleeding because people really haven't cut back some of these stocks and they've let them kind of be outsized positions. I mean, Apple's 6% of the S&P, Microsoft's close to 5 So if you've been overweight, those you are going to feel a lot more pain than you did in the past. Although I will say, Jim, the technology is now about 30% of the uh, S&P 1500, down about 8% in a couple of years. It makes sense. The stock price has come down. You're going to see relative overweighting on something else. But there's really two things going on here, I think. A lot of our viewers and listeners, they might own Apple, Amazon, and all Microsoft just because they own the QQQ or some index funds, or they own them as individual equities. Do we have to think about them differently based on how we own them? Well, look, I think so. And, you know, the fact that when we put up the indices on this show, we put up the Dow, we put up the S&P 500, both diversified indices, and then we put up the NASDAQ, which is very far from a diversified index. And I'm going to say it's not that different than if we put up, say, the XLI, the industrial uh, sector ETF, as, as a benchmark index. And the point that I'm driving at here, and I'm alluding to your question, Brian, is it's just a sector. It's just a GIX industry sector technology. And this is a little bit what Surratt was saying as well. 
when you're an investor and you're picking stocks to buy, you're picking the price that you're going to pay for earnings now and in the future. That growth rate in earnings is what you should pay for, and you should be ambivalent to whether it's a technology stock or an industrial or a healthcare or whatever. When you look at the PEG ratios, price to earnings to growth ratios, they are still much higher in technology than anywhere else. So to your question, yes, we should stop looking at technology as something different as an industry, different from the rest of the industries. It isn't. It's just an industry. Well, You're just paying for earnings. The sun is just a star, but it keeps us alive, Jim. I mean, technology has been where everybody's made their money in the last ah, 10 to 20 Brian, years. Brian, I'm so glad you said that because if, and you know this, if you go back to last cycle highs going back for 50 years, if you look at the stocks that were in the leaderboard, like the top five, six stocks at the market peak, very seldom, very seldom do those stocks carry over as leadership in the next economic cycle. There are some exceptions. You know, Microsoft appears quite often. Uh, but frankly, you know, you go back 20 years ago, GE was in the top list. Intel was in the top list. They're not there now. Mm. Leadership transition happens in every bear market. That's what's happening. Fair enough. But Shannon, you own a bunch of these names. You own Apple, you own Amazon, you own Microsoft, Google, you know, slash Alphabet. I would imagine, yes, it's, quote, just a sector to Jim's point. But this is where the growth, not just in the market, has come from. This is where the American economy has come from in the last 20 years. What is it? I, I just can't quit you. Right. It, it's, it's a hard it's a hard sector to leave. Yeah, and I think that's why it has traded at a premium. But I think Jim made a great point. And although we are, you know, we have a strong um, allocation in technology, we look at technology across all industries and all sectors. There, the, just because we're we're questioning, if you will, the price at which we're willing to pay for these future earnings, future earnings now, doesn't mean that there isn't going to be innovation and disruption. And I would say, so I, I want to counter the fact that technology is sort of dead as a leader with the fact that innovation and disruption might just come from companies that are outside of the technology sector, but are still reliant on technology to deliver that innovation. And I think that's an important point. And one that we have put into place in our portfolios for several years is we're looking for innovation and disruption across all the sectors. Yeah. It doesn't have to just be in technology. And so I think the other point here is just kind of looking at where do you think there will be some secular tailwinds to be able to grow both the top and bottom line? Because I would counter that economic growth is slowing. And so therefore, it is not going to be a rising tide lifting all boats in 2023. Maybe the tide's going out. And let, why don't we broaden out this discussion, Joe, to the macro market, to the macro economy? Because I think to Shannon's point, I could call 100 companies. They, maybe they make rakes or anvils, and they'll tell me that they're actually secretly a technology company. So that aside, Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley coming out with a note saying the focus on the market has been all fed for about a year. That's it. Fine. Now he says we have to shift our view to earnings and a possible recession. They say the earnings outlook has worsened and we feel more confident about our negative operating leverage thesis. Do you, Joe? Well, what if I don't want to shift my view away from the Fed? But what you if have I to, want it's a TV to show. continue to view? Okay, all right. So, but listen, it's one man's view. Um, you know, Mike is going to put forth what he believes 
is is the right strategy in the market. I think Lisa Shallot, who also is there at Morgan Stanley, offers a, a, a more uh, balanced approach to how you think should be thinking about this. I don't think it's all or nothing, Brian. I don't think that's the way we, we should be thinking about this. I think there's a lot of mechanics that are unfolding right now within the market that we're con- that we're confusing as fundamental conditions. Just take as an example what's going on right now with Tesla, okay? The stock is down 44% in this quarter alone. That has an effect in the near term in the market. Do we know if Elon Musk has pledged his stock as collateral against some of the borrowing that he's done to buy Twitter? If, in fact, he's done that, well, as the stock moves lower, there is automatically going to be sales. You know, margin calls... We always look at margin calls universally towards the market itself. Well, margin calls have an effect when it occurs in a big stock, and you could be seeing that impact of that as well right now. So I think there's mechanics that are going on within the market that are clouding this fundamental view. I think time ultimately is going to be the determinant as to whether we're going to see what Mike's looking at, which is a more extended earnings contraction. The only way you're going to get to understand that is if, We see equities lose the resiliency and the Federal Reserve, and this is why I think it's important you keep looking at the Federal Reserve, are they going to keep the pressure on the market? If they're not going to keep the pressure on the market, that's going to allow equities to catch their breath and you're not going to have the stress and strain on the resiliency. So I think you still need to factor in the Federal Reserve in looking towards what's going to unfold next year as it relates to earnings. Hey, Brian. Yeah, go ahead. Jump in. I thank you, Um, Joe, and thank you for bringing up Tesla, because it speaks to the point I was making earlier. Uh, And this is not at Joe or anyone else. Tesla is a car company. Okay, stop with the it's a technology company. It's a renewable energy company. Stop it. It's a car company. Okay, trades at whatever it trades, 25, 30 times earnings when the rest of the sector trades at six times. Now, there are technical factors going on with Musk selling shares, but at the end of the day, what you're seeing is that leadership transition that I'm talking about. Um, I'm just, I had to point that out. That's well said. And by the way, Tesla, as we've pointed out many times, is super important for other parts of the market because they have so many shares, derivative strategy, Delta One, whatever it may be. Tesla is bigger than just Tesla itself. Surat, let's, let's talk about bonds and stocks for a second because there are also calls on the street about what the bond and stock markets may be saying. This year, they both went down. I think it was the worst year for both treasuries mm-hmm. and equities in 100 years or ever. I mean, usually one goes up, one goes down. This year, everything just got terrible. It's like the Houston Texans, basically the stock market. But now we're starting to see bonds move in a slightly different direction. Are you watching bonds? And if so, what is the bond market starting to tell you? Yeah, and I think, Brian, a little history here is also important. If you go back, you know, when interest rates were really zero, you had investors who were mandated to put money into bonds. Uh, and then you also had retirees who were putting money into 10, 15, 20-year bonds that were getting, you know, 2 to 4%. So those have taken quite a big hit. And I kind of, you've seen that in the bond market. If you had stayed short, you wouldn't have been hurt, but then you weren't getting any yield uh, as well. I think what the bond market today uh, is telling you that, hey, look, you know, Five years down the road, we don't think inflation is going to be the way it is as it is right now. So hence the inverted curve. Hence, we think we're going to be in a slowdown uh, as well. So I think you have to be very careful there. Uh, And then the other factors, look, you know, we've got a lot of cross currents here. You've got, you know, QT going on at the same time. You've got uh, other foreign countries buying our treasuries. 
And then you have other investors. I mean, we're buying, you know, corporates from two to five years, you're getting five to 6%. So there is an alternative now, you are getting yield, you don't have to take, quote, the, the market volatility in stocks, if you actually have assets you want to keep relatively safe and, and reduce volatility. All right, let's move on, Shannon. I want to move on to industrials because you know, we talk so much about Apple and Amazon. I get it. Let's talk about companies like a, a Masco. Let's talk about the Eaton Vances of the world, shall we? These industrial stocks, not everybody's bullish on them, but you own those names and more. Boring but sexy, right? I mean, what, what do you like about this group right now? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this um, last Friday, and I think, you know, to Jim's point, and he's been spot on this year in terms of thinking about where will there be growth and opportunity in the U.S. economy? And I think it's in the manufacturing sector. And I think that the, the challenge here is that there really has been no capital expenditure in manufacturing whatsoever in the last decade. Um, and, you know, with the, um, the production issues that we're seeing in China, I, I, can, I continue to think that those are going to, to, um, to be with us in the first part of next year as well. I'm not quite as optimistic about supply chain improvement there. Um, but I think we're really going to see a lot of companies bringing production and distribution closer together, which means bringing production here to the United States. And so I like you know companies such as like a Rockwell Automation, for instance, that are able to improve the technology of these manufacturing companies, be able to make them more efficient and hopefully mitigate some of the pressure that they have from from hiring. Um, they ha there's been a lot of retirements in the manufacturing sector. So all of these companies really need to think about improving mm -hmm. what they have, capital expenditure, and also bringing a lot of that back to the United States, which frankly is one of the reasons that we are a bit more bullish yeah. on the U.S. than maybe we are on Europe in this in this period. Joe, can you give us a little love for the uh, very much not unloved but unmentioned W.W. Grangers and Ingersoll Rands of the world? I, I can. In fact, W.W. Uh, Granger is in the Joe T. ETF and the focus of ownership in, for industrials in the ETF really has been defense, Lockheed Martin being the best performing equity name in the ETF. And then obviously, uh, agriculture machinery. I own John Deere personally. The ETF owns it as well. But there are names like W.W. Granger. There's logistic names in there as well. There's been both for rails and a lot of the truckers. There was a tailwind that existed earlier in the year as you began to see uh, the, the goods environment uh, begin to unfreeze and movement was, you know, growth was accelerating significantly year-on-year -year truck growth exceeding uh, 20 percent. So with industrials, I think you have to be very tactical looking for the opportunities. And those are the three buckets that I think right now you could find the tailwinds. There we go. A couple of new names out there. Maybe not new, but just little talked about the WW Grangers of the world. All right, guys. We're just getting started here. Coming up on the Halftime Report, the big energy divergence. Energy is really the only positive sector for the year. You know that. But oil itself could actually end the year down. So if you've been long and strong oil and gas, what to do now? The Investment Committee will lay out their playbooks for the space. In 2023, coming up, Halftime is back with two minutes. NASDAQ down more than 1%. Stick around. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. 
To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Russia reportedly unleashing another 35 kamikaze drones on Ukraine in the early hours of Monday morning. The explosions damaging critical infrastructure and in and around the Ukraine capital. The assault marks Russia's third air attack on Kyiv in the past six days. This comes as Russian President Vladimir Putin arrives in Belarus to meet the leaders of his ex-Soviet ally. Amber Heard settling her defamation case against ex-husband Johnny Depp. In an Instagram statement, the 36-year-old actress called the decision to settle, quote, very difficult, and added that it followed, quote, a great deal of deliberation. Terms of the settlement are not immediately clear, as this follows a weeks-long televised trial that began back in April. And hundreds of New York City Uber and Lyft drivers organizing a caravan over the Brooklyn Bridge. The demonstration comes in response to a judge halting a scheduled city-ordered pay raise. The protest was organized by the Independent Drivers Guild, which represents more than 80,000 New York City ride app drivers. Talk about gridlock alert, Brian. Back over to you. Oh, during the holidays? It's going to be great, Bertha. I'll see you on the city bike. Bertha, thank you. (laughs) By the way, fastest way to get around, let's be honest. All right. It is time now for some big calls of the day. We've got four calls today. Let's begin in the skies. Delta Airlines named top 2023 pick in the group at Raymond James. They reiterated the strong buy and a $52 target, as you'd think, Jim, they would do, given it's their top pick. You own it. Your take. Yeah, well, look, I, it, the analyst community thinks that Delta is going to earn $5 a share next year, roughly. So $52 is roughly 10 times. OK, so that that's fine. That makes sense for you as an investor listening to me or anyone else out there. You have to answer one of two questions and you can't say yes to both of them. OK, Uh-oh. either the Fed is going to go to 5.1 percent on its peak Fed fund rates or Delta is going to earn $5 a share next year. Both can't be true. I own Delta, so that tells you which I think is true. Do we need to? Are you tell, are you asking me the question, Jim? Do I got to? Are you going to put me on the spot for once? We flip no, the script. No, no. But, but I'll tell you what, Brian. Since maybe I wasn't clear, and not to you, but in general, it's a question of a recession. If you think there's going to be a gut wrenching recession where Delta doesn't get enough passengers and they fly their planes to the Mojave Desert to park them there, then don't buy Delta. If you think there's a lot of strength in this economy based on what's going on right now and all that supply chain uh, and infrastructure spending about to come, 
then you should own Delta. Fair enough. What did Greenspan say? If you understood what I said, that I didn't speak clearly, something like that. Anyway, uh, Shannon, I hate this call, but we're going to do it. Netflix, okay, they raised their price target to 275 but that's below where the stock is now. This kind of stuff drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Netflix is, I mean, the, the enthusiasm for Netflix over the course of the last six months or so, Brian, has been incredible. Um, and I think that it comes back to, you know, a, a view that we've had for a long time, that there will be a couple of winners in streaming. And frankly, Netflix is the only major streamer who's doing it profitably right now. And so I think there is, you know, there's a lot of, of optimism about uh, their ability to continue to execute, particularly with the new ad tier. Um, but frankly, I mean, these calls, it seems like we get a new one every day about how Netflix is executing, but but they have been for the last couple of years, and, yeah. and we do think that they will continue to do so relative to the other streamers. Uh, fair enough. Ten bucks below the current price. All right, up next, the committee <laughs> is ready to grade your trades, answering specific questions about investments you have made for future segments. Remember, send us an email, halftime at cbc.com. Tweet at us as well. Grade the trade coming up next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Grade your trade in a moment. We've got a news update right now from Kate Rooney on Sam Bankman-Fried. Kate, what's going on? Hey, Brian. So Sam Bankman-Fried is headed back to jail in the Bahamas. Court has just been adjourned for the day, and Sam Bankman-Fried has been further remanded to custody. NBC News is there. They're telling us that the day has ended in confusion as both sides and the magistrate court expressed confusion and frustration as to why they were actually there. The prosecutor, Franklin Williams, saying that we understood Sam Bankman-Fried intended to waive extradition. They say this was widely reported. We have here that Sam Bankman-Fried's Bahamian attorney has requested that he be allowed to speak with his American attorneys while in custody. Reuters is reporting here that the former FTX CEO wants to see the indictment against him before agreeing to extradition. Uh, that is from the defense lawyer at the court hearing. Again, Reuters reporting that we don't have an adjournment date, but Bankman-Fried is back in prison, uh, at least for the meantime. Brian, back to you. And you've talked to people in the know. Bahamas jail cells are not pleasant places. Kate Rooney, no, no surprise he wants to be extradited. Thank you. All right, it is time now for Grade My Trade. And your first trade comes from Chris, who bought the SMH Semiconductor ETF at $215.22. Now, Jim, you do not own the SMH, but you do own NXP and Qualcomm. Chris, apparently right now underwater on the SMS trade. What is your take? What is your grade? Well, look, I, 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 let's give the grade a B. Um, I think you're supposed to own the semis, but more than the grade, I just want to encourage Chris to stick with it. Uh, the only reason it's not an A is because, same for me with the semis I own, it's down, right? 
Um, but I think at the end of the day, with either the index, the ETF, or the individual companies, you've got to realize these are real companies producing real products, and they have positive cash flows. These aren't sort of fly-by-night companies that are designing you know, products that will come out five years from now or companies that have no earnings and are trading on price to sales. These are, for the most part, attractively priced real companies. So just stick it out, Chris. Joe, you got a take on the semis or the SMH trade? Well, I think, first of all, for Chris, I agree with Jim. I, I, I like, obviously, he's taken a diversified approach by purchasing the ETF, and that indicates he wants to have a little bit of a longer-term ownership. I said last week on the show, I think there are stocks within the semis that have clearly bottomed, and I think there are others that are still going to experience uh, stress and strain. You could see that with Marvell. You could see that with Intel. And you could even see that to a certain extent with AMD, uh, KLA Corp, Microchip, on semi. These are examples of stocks individually that I believe are going to work and have seen the worst. And more recently, at the end of October, I purchased personally Texas Instruments at 161. So I'm taking a little bit of more of a tactical approach but for Chris, I like that he's got that diversified ETF ownership, mm. and he's got to make sure that he's disciplined and stays committed to the long term and doesn't try and trade around it. All right, let's move on. Dave in California bought Donaher in early November at around $241 per share. All right, Shannon and Surratt, you both own DHR, one of the quietest companies, I think, for its size in the United States. Shannon, first to you. Uh, old Dave's up a little bit. How would you grade this trade? Yeah, I'd give this an A-. minus. Uh, I think that there is a significant tailwind right now for Danaher in terms of respiratory testing. We're obviously in the midst of an uh, incredibly challenging flu, COVID, RSV season, um, and that's going to benefit them. But this is a, a uh, diversified life sciences and diagnostics company. They have continued to be very methodical and prescriptive about acquisitions. Um, and I think to your point, Brian, this, this company flies under the radar and yet it's in a space that we think, you know, from a healthcare perspective, it's, is a good name to hold into 2023. Sarat? I, I like the company too. I mean, you just have to be careful about the comps that come through, but again, because of the testing that we're having again with COVID kind of here, China, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, another company in there is Thermo Fisher. So I do like these companies. I think they are defensive. Just be careful that they're not cheap companies so that when the market comes back, these things could come back. All right, Dave and Chris, Dave and Chris, thank you for sending in your trades. Everybody out there, keep your trade ideas coming in. We said it. Send the email to askhalftime at cbc.com or tweet at us. Coming up, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. All right, welcome back to Halftime, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. Senior Markets commentator Michael Santoli joining us now for the NYSE with the Midday Word. Mike, what is the, the Midday Word? 
Well, Brian, if you look at the action today, it's in some ways a bit of a microcosm of the whole year, right? Mega cap NASDAQ stocks really leading the downside pressure. You have defensive leadership in staples and utilities, plus some industrials, which have been a standout among cyclical groups. And then, uh, you know, credit markets really not doing anything too panicky. So all that fits together. But I do think there's something relevant in, in a relatively drowsy slide in the market today, which is the level the S&P is at right now. We've now gone down essentially to just above where we closed November 9th. Why does that matter? November 10th was that CPI day, the report that really encouraged investors. It was weaker than expected or lower than expected inflation. And that kicked off that rally to the recent high. So we're kind of testing in there and to see if, uh, if, if it really matters uh, around those levels. And so I do think there's some eyes on where we are right now as we uh, also have a bit of a hangover type trading from that uh, expiration Friday uh, last week. Good stuff, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, straight All ahead, right. casino stocks, some big-time pressure over the last week. But with increased odds of a China reopening down the road, is it time for you to roll the dice on the casino names? The Investment Committee debates the casino trade. Contessa Brewer up with the story. We're back right after this. All right, big developments over the weekend for casino operators with exposure to Macau. Contessa Brewer following the money and following the story. Contessa. Well, so, Brian, it seemed like a weekend of good news for casinos in Macau. The concessions now uh, secured for the next 10 years. The agreements extracted for billions of dollars in investments, both capital and and operating expenditures. They got to pay that rather than just a fee forked over to the government. And, of course, then there's the significant easing of quarantine rules and plans to resume ferry and airline service. This is all good news. MGM was awarded 200 extra tables. Uh, That was good news at the expense of competitors, including Wynn. And yet, take a look now. Shares are tanking today. You've got the Hong Kong-based Melco off now 10%. Wynn down 4%. Las Vegas Sands not exactly tanking, but off a percent and a half. And MGM Resorts down almost three. But in Hong Kong trading, Wynn, Melco, MGM, Look at the decline here. MGM China off 13 percent among all those six operating companies in Macau. And why? Why are they slumping there when there should be so much optimism about 2023? The good news, Brian, may already be baked in. Quarter to date, for instance, Melco is up 65 percent. The optimism from the operators is extremely muted based on multiple high-level conversations I had over the weekend It doesn't matter whether Macau government eases travel restrictions if no one's willing to travel. COVID infections are soaring throughout mainland China, and that is where Macau's gamblers come from. Even the Macau government said this weekend it expects 2023 gaming revenue roughly to match this year's. And boy, was this a bad year. November's gaming revenue down 99 percent from November 2019 before the pandemic. So right now, everyone is just waiting and watching with bated breath. Can't predict the timeline either. Probably very little natural immunity there, very little vaccine coverage, at least their own vaccine. So it's a guess. But is anybody guessing on when this may reverse? No. I mean, I think right now what they're thinking is, look at Singapore. All of a sudden, the highest net worth individuals who gamble are heading to Singapore and they are spending big and they're charging boatloads of money for uh, Marina Bay Sands, for instance, from Las Vegas Sands. They're hoping that a a Vegas-style rebound is possible in Macau, but a lot of it depends on people feeling like it is safe to go back. And right now, China's not there. We'll see where it is. All right. 
Contessa, thank you very much. Jim, very quickly, you own win. Yeah, and I think Contessa may have hit it on the, the nail on the head when she said a lot of it's baked in. Let's bear in mind that Wynn is down 3% uh, year to date, so it's mightily outperformed the market. Uh, Macau is baked in. A little news like today might just be profit taking on bad news that may okay. reverse. But for Wynn, this for me is far more of a U.S. story than a Macau story. All right, thank you very much, Jim. Contessa? All right, final trades next on Halftime. All right, welcome back. Time now already, somehow, for your final trades. Jim Labenthal, kick it off for us. Yeah, I'm going to go with Boeing. And, and look, there's been massive outperformance here the last one to three months. It's actually outperformed the S&P 500 year to date and over the last one year. The momentum is clearly in its side. They're getting orders and they're delivering planes. Those orders aren't going to go away if GDP temporarily goes negative next year. Well said. Shannon? Eaton, uh, we talked about infrastructure spending a lot over the last couple of years, but this is we're entering into a super cycle for the electrical grid um, worldwide, but especially here in the United States, and Eaton is tied to that um, and should continue to grow well. Doesn't matter how much power you build if there's no power lines. Uh, Surat? I like Uber. I mean, it's off today, but I think the tailwinds behind this company, given yeah. more people use it, more people are traveling, you know, and they're Joe? getting a lot of operating efficiency. And Joe? Brian, you wanted an industrial name. I'll give you Cintas. C-T-A-S. Love it. Guys, we'll see you tomorrow as well. Thanks for taking it easy on me. Thank you, everybody. The Exchange with Kelly begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 